This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Venice Film Festival Dispatch here at Pop Culture Confidential. Today I'm introducing a new voice, really, the youth of cinema. I'm so happy to have Connor Lightbody with me today. Thank you so much for having me. You're a real movie lover, you're in your second year of film studies. But you're also a prolific writer over at Jump Cut Online, and I've really been enjoying your work. Thank you so much. Uh, It's nice to have a bit of validation. Yes. (laughs) Um, I'm so happy to have you with me. I want to say to the listeners again, we're again outside here in lovely Lido, so there may be some sounds, some people around us at tables, a potential Timmy helicopter. (laughs) He's (laughs) left, though, so he may not be him. And Harry Styles has also left. So Has he gone too? I think so. I don't think he hung around after all that drama. Oh, don't even get started on the drama. What we're going to do for this episode is we're going to be talking about Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, Joanna Hogg's Eternal Daughter. But first, why don't we get into (laughs) that most controversial, rumored film? I mean, probably the most talked about film here, I have to say. And that's Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry Darling, starring Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, Nick Kroll. Let's discuss. Connor? Where, where would you like to begin? First, maybe tell us a little bit what it's about. Yeah, so it is a film set in 1950s California. Um, Florence Pugh plays the wife of husband Jack. She plays a character called Alice. Um, and as the plot progresses, uh, we kind of go on a journey into Wonderland as everything is not quite what it seems in so Alice is this a good suburban name. utopia. Jack is played by, or her husband is played by Harry Styles. Um, This community that they're living in called Victory is run by, I would almost say, a cult leader of some sort. His name is Chris Chris Pine. Pine. Exactly. And uh, very, I wouldn't say slowly, but we, after a little while, start thinking there's something wrong with this uh, Victory Village. There's one woman in particular who seems to be having episodes, nightmares, and does some you know, serious self-harm while saying that we're all trapped here and something is going on in Victory. What did you think of the movie in general? Uh, I liked it in parts. Um, I felt like there was a lot to be desired on it as well. Mainly with Wilde not allowing the script to actually deliver on itself. Um, So the script talks about all these repetitive orders and structures that, you know, true society uh, in this male suburban uh, nirvana is prone to. Florence Pugh is really great. She's really a superstar. I think she's been good in pretty much everything she's done so far and she's so young and she she's really magnetic here. Harry Styles is a big stiff and he has a Oh, completely. He has a difficult role because 
I don't want to spoil too much, but he, he should be playing another character than he's playing, so to speak. He should be, and he's not, he doesn't really have that chemistry with Florence to be able to pull that off. I, I think their chemistry is, is fine. Um, Florence Pugh is obviously acting circles around him, um, which we all kind of expected from the trailer and the, the Twitter scenes. Yeah, so for me, there's a lot of movies in this realm from Stepford Wives to Rosemary's Baby that for me have done it much, much better. I thought it was a gorgeous film. I thought the all the scenery, all the clothing... The production design is second to none. Incredible. But let me put it this way. Barring all the other stuff that's been going out, the rumors, but all the Shia LaBeouf drama, all the drama <laughs> that Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde have been fighting and here at the press conference, she didn't even come to the press conference. There's all this stuff. But one thing that I thought was very strange was that Olivia Wilde a couple weeks ago gave an interview, and I'm not going to spoil, but if you want to look it up, you can. She gave an interview where she said she told us who the Chris Pine character, the cult leader, is modeled after. And when she said that, I knew the plot of the story. Yeah, absolutely. The year that he's modeled after is a very particular modern type of uh, discussion we have going on about male toxicity, so to speak. So I think she sort of gave the entire movie away. So there was no real twist for me. That's fair. Um, I hearkened to Get Out, the scenes of her drowning in like the surreal and the ones of her being trapped gave me the the vibe of um daniel Kaluuya's character being into the the sunken place in get out that's the vibe i got from it and did you think she did that well i mean did you feel uh, i felt it was a, a complete pastiche uh-huh. of it feeble imitation of jordan peele's mastery in that film um i don't think she had the ability to to nail that down which to her credit it's so ambitious. There is so much there in terms of what she's trying to accomplish. Oh, she's a good director. I really like Booksmart, and I can't wait to see... Booksmart? Wonderful, right? I really can't wait to see where she goes next. And as you're very right in saying that this was like a very ambitious sophomore project <laughs> to take on. And, and again... Um, the acting around Florence Pugh, as you said, she's just like acting circles around everyone. She is so, so... And, uh, and unfortunately, if the movie would have been a masterpiece, this whole stuff that's been surrounding it, all this drama, all this fighting, all the stuff that happened here, the new rumor today, Connor, did you see that? Uh, <laughs> is this Harry Styles spitting on Chris Pine by any chance? Yes, he... There's this Twitter pictures of going around that at the premiere, um, Harry uh, Styles spits on Chris Pine. I don't know what you make of that. Uh, I make of it that the the discourse around this film, uh, there is enough of it. We don't need to manufacture discourse. We are saturated with don't worry darling discourse already. It's sort of unfair in the sense that I think the publicist, this is just lost to that. The legacy will always be this discourse. And I mean, in a way, it wasn't a great movie. So the next one she does, hopefully it won't drown in discourse and will be a better movie. But Yeah. Uh, and obviously it harkens back to the likes of Stefford Wives and Truman Show and things like that. Um, what I did like a lot about it was it did make me feel like I was watching film from the 80s and the 90s it felt like the sort of film that you go to cinemas to see I think we we had a small discussion on this outside of the podcast about this the music I thought it was a character of its own I thought it added so much to 
what is happening on screen. And I hated it. <laughs> I thought I was yeah. being told. I was letting you say that. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Hunter. For me, it felt like she was telling us every second, ooh, now it's a thrilling moment, Christina. Now it's not a thrilling moment. Yeah. Now it's a romantic moment. And it was a bit overpowering for my taste. It was, but the film itself is extremely heavy-handed in so, itself. It is. So um, I, I kind of vibed with the heavy-handed music, with the heavy-handed visuals. And well, we give it a mixed bag, right? I mean, it's oh, not yeah. terrible, but... I think the um, hyperbole around it has kind of clouded a couple of people's judgments. Um, I, as of this moment, I believe it is sitting at 37% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is too low. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's 37% of Just the people that have seen it here. Of people who have seen it. Uh, that may go up. It, it may even go down. Um, but as of this moment, I think there is, there's just too much hyperbole around. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's expectations. Let's move on to a movie that I think will have discussion after because I think there's going to be a lot of think pieces on this one um, and that's Darren Aronofsky's movie The Whale really an exploration into self-destruction and um, he's moved away I think from Black Swan and Mother this maybe is more towards The Wrestler a really mm -hmm. For me, a compassionate piece about a man who weighs 600 pounds, played by Brendan Fraser. He's gay. He has a trauma that he's been through. He doesn't leave his home. It's a very theatrical, small piece centered yeah. only in his apartment. We have his a nurse, who's also his friend, played by Hong Chao. So good. So, so good. And then we have his daughter, played by Stranger Things, Sadie Sink, a young evangelist. Thomas, played by Ty Simpkins, and then his ex-wife, played by Samantha Morton, of course, sorry. And basically it's about seven days where he's trying to... He's trying to reconnect with his daughter. It's based on a play. It's a very theatrical film. I'll start by saying that I was very, very, very taken. I cried through a lot of it. Brendan Fraser is doing just amazing work and what I'm thinking is in the discourse it could be a lot of discussions about fat shaming and but he he does it with such compassion the character has such wit and such heart that for me it wasn't so much it could have been heroin it could have been any sort of self-destructive so, so that I understand that there's going to be concerns but for me I could see past that. How about you? Yeah, we're in complete agreement in terms of Brendan Fraser. Um, I thought he was an absolute revelation. Um, he's always been good, but he's always been uh, part of uh, pop culture moments. So George of the Jungle. George of the Jungle, the which was my childhood. I'm not going to lie. I watched that movie and wore the, uh, the VHS out. Um, uh, yeah, The Mummy, he's kind of always done pop culture. And then some monsters. I mean, he's done some really good, serious roles as well. 
There was a film uh, a few years back that I remember seeing that I was really taken by, um, and I was so taken by it that I forgot its name. But it was uh, Brendan Fraser trying to get a load of money for the daughter that he is trying to save from cancer, mm-hmm. or along those lines. Um, it came out about 2012, I want to say. Uh, I think it was one of his last roles before he uh, departed from Hollywood. So for those that don't know, he kind of took a break, so to speak. He, there was a lot of issues. He was himself sexually harassed. Um, he spoke out about that. He had a lot of issues with Hollywood in general. And there's what's been called the Brennaissance, or Brendanaissance, <laughs> where which actually it's lovely to cheer for him. I mean, the he cried so much at the ovations here at Venice. Oh, I loved it so much. It was, it I, loved was, see, I loved seeing him just happy, and uh, it was just so heartwarming to see. But talking about the film in general, what, what did you think of Aronofsky's take on I this? liked it a lot more than I didn't like it. I had quite a few foibles with it, mainly in how you enjoyed its theatricality. I did not enjoy the fact that it was uh, so limited. It felt limited by its origins as a play. And obviously um, the playwright is also the screenwriter and he takes in, he, he makes it theatrical. And it is a film about him confined in a single space. But I don't think that Aronofsky uses utilizes enough of that space to to really yeah, make. So you didn't want, need him to be out. You just needed that space to be utilized. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit more a bit more fluidity in exploring the space. I, I think Aronofsky was a, just a touch limited by the the origins of itself. That didn't bother me because for me, I, I went into it knowing that it was a play and knowing that it's more of a four-hander character piece so I was just into the acting so much and, and let's get back to Hong Chu which many of you may know from downsizing and showing up she plays his nurse she's just amazing because that role combines her being his friend being really upset at him and also she has a trauma in her background connected to his where she goes from so many different emotions and they're also very funny together Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things I really liked about Hong Chao's character is uh, the subtleties in that she is also a little bit of an enabler to his eating through his grief um, of losing his partner. She arrives at his apartment and berates him for being the way he is, but also Worried provides he's him die and then gives him a big sandwich. Yeah, two massive twelve-inch foot-long meatball subs. I felt like that had uh, a lot to say about um, the people we love and eating disorders. Exactly, and and, or enabling in all kinds of, you know, addictions. Yes, absolutely. No, that's a good point. How how about his daughter and the other characters? Ty Simpkins was fine. I felt like his whole uh, spiel about religion was a little bit lackluster. It wasn't as engaging as... Uh, the rest of it was, especially with Sadie and Hong Chao. Um, Sadie Sink as Ellie is, she's the heart of the movie to um, Brendan Fraser. She's obviously his white whale. But Sadie, uh, well, Ellie as the character and Sadie portraying her, she is a little bit mean for far too long of the movie. Um, the runtime's in the, about the 100 minute mark. Uh, and she doesn't really grow that much until the final 10 minutes. So 
when she keeps exiting stage left, she comes back as the same person. There's no growth between the acts and the, the scenes. Uh, Sadie Sink herself, she was great. I thought she was great. I think everyone was very, very good in here. Great direction on the actors, I have to say. Oh, absolutely. Aronofsky is very much a actor's director. Yeah. It starts, I'm going to spoil this because it's been in five reviews. So the first time we see him, um, he is masturbating and he's, the whole scene feels there's a, maybe some homophobia, maybe some fat name. Uh, I yeah I quite liked yeah. sorry uh, I quite liked the abrupt weirdness of the beginning because it kind of makes you pay attention like oh my god what what am I watching kind of vibe and then it just uh, descends into a quite empathetic character study of grief I I, I dug too much of it to let the the issues I had with it cloud my judgment yeah we'll leave it at that because there's a lot of stuff that happens between these relationships but for me I, I was very emotional towards the end I just want to comment on the um, prosthetics which apparently were a mix of real prosthetics and CGI oh were they yes Oh, wow. They're done by Adrian Morot. Seamless prosthetic. You can't see anything in the neck and things like that. I so it was touch-ups? Yes. Okay. You mentioned yesterday will probably be one of the think pieces that they're actually using someone in a fat suit, be it CGI or not. Yeah. Um, as a, a slightly bigger person myself, I, I didn't feel too offended by the, the fat jokes in it because... Um, uh, I felt uh, I, I myself uh, am prone to making a joke about my own weight, um, and Brendan Fraser's character does it, Hong Chao's character does it, but it's never it's never done um, outside of uh, his daughter Ellie with much, yeah. yeah with vitriol, and I I didn't mind it. Um, I would be very interested to read the think pieces that are coming out. I am more than happy to engage with. A little bit of Not the discourse. Not too much, please, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm probably going to take a couple of weeks out after this festival. The discourse is just, it's, it's becoming a bit overwhelming. Yes, it is. Well, well, I really love that one, and I think you're quite on board. Um, yes, I yes. Wanna, The last one I want to do is another quite theatrical piece, and that is Joanna Hogg's movie Eternal Daughter, mm-hmm. which basically is... A two-hander, but a one-hander. <laughs> it's Tilda Swinton who plays two roles. She plays Julie, the filmmaker, as well as her elderly mother. And they are on a getaway to a Welsh hotel. And basically, it's this getaway. It's a lot about memories. It's about mother-daughter. It's a ghost story. Um, mm-hmm. It's very haunting. Um, there's some twists, which I think... Someone said they were a twist for me. They were quite obvious. I mean, I don't think she gimmicked her way around this in any way. For me, it was very tender, but I'll let you begin. Uh, I agree. It, it is a very tender piece. It is very slow. Um, it is um, the most Joanna Hogg Joanna Hogg has ever Joanna Hogged. <laughs> um, uh, she is obviously Julia Filmmaker, which is obviously the same name and profession as the characters from Souvenir 1 and Souvenir 2. Um, whether this is obviously the souvenir films are slightly um, autobiographical for her so if this is autobiographical that's hard Um, if this is autobiographical for Joanna Hogg herself then go for it if she wants to call herself Julie that's the name she wants to call herself Um, but in terms of the film itself I felt like 
as with many Joanna Ho movies, you don't like it until you really like it. Hmm, interesting. Explain. Um, it keeps everything close to its chest that you're slightly perturbed by it not revealing and then as it reveals the pieces fall in place for the the final uh the final well the reveal it is very difficult to talk about this movie without talking about how the final few scenes correlate back and harken back to um those really emotional scenes but also quite jarring scenes um they're sitting at a table and uh, it cuts between Joanna. Uh, it cuts. Sorry, it cuts between Julie. I'm doing it myself now. Uh, it cuts between uh, Tilda and Tilda. Uh, it cuts between Tilda and then Tilda again, but it never keeps them in the same frame. Um, I think, if I remember rightly, there was two scenes twice. Yeah, um, with them in the same uh, frame on the screen, and I think it doesn't happen until about the 45 minute mark. Yeah. So, and Martin Scorsese, who's the executive producer on this, gave her many thoughts that you can read with afterwards, so that it doesn't mm-hmm. spoil. But but it's interesting because Janog never writes dialogue, so her scripts are just written scripts. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you were okay. talking about the autobiographical part. It is apparently this. Okay. She started this with thoughts about her mother and her relationship but since she doesn't write dialogue it becomes such a conversation with Tilda with everyone else about their relationships with their mothers Mm. and their you know she makes dialogue and contributes in such way that it sort of morphs into everyone's relationship with their mother Um, and I isn't for me another incredibly dazzling performance by or performances by Tilda Swinton. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she's, she's what more is there need to be said about the majesty that is Tilda Wilton? The thing that that is so interesting with both Brendan Fraser and T- when Tilda is the mother here, she's frail, she seems very skinny, she does this little thing with her back and then when she's the daughter, she's Tilda Swinton. She looks big and tall and statuesque, and she has a completely... And the same with Brendan Fraser. It's, because a, po- it's a posture. Yes. And he does everything with his eyes, I was just going to say. Brendan. In, in, oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Brendan the whale, it's, all, it's so much eye acting. Yeah. Um, and a bit of bit of make a bit of makeup, and this is posture acting. Yeah, it's spot on. Yeah, as you say, it's slow. There's a lot of sort of dialogue between mother and daughter, which is just tender, just very slow. I mean, this is not for everyone. <laughs> it, is, it is very much not for everyone. Um, as a massive fan of souvenirs one and two, uh, I knew what I was getting into. Uh, I was well prepared. You're um, from before. Do you, I mean, do you like John Hogg? Oh yeah, I, I love the first one. Uh, really rocked my socks off. Um, and obviously, it's just this really neat, fragmented story of memory. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and this is kind of similar in the same regard. It's kind of memory. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. the ghosts of the past, present, and future kind of vibes. Um, and it's a little bit like a gothic horror. Uh, movie as well. Absolutely. The big, the big mansion, mansion hotel, hotel that they're in. That they're in I don't want to stay in this Welsh hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they obviously, they have no, uh, they have to stay in this one room, but there's no guests, so there's just this eerie sensibility throughout this whole film, like, where is everyone else? Um, and you were mentioning yesterday, that's it. why you sort of start thinking, are we playing with timelines? What's yeah. going, because of that vibe? Yeah, completely. 
Uh, there, there was elements of the costume as well, with like uh, her hair changing and just the way she held herself. And uh, Tilda's acting goes from quite uh, proud to a certain uh, melancholic kind of look. Uh, I can't explain why because it's spoilers. Um, but the inference obviously is that. Oh, it's really difficult to spoiling. It's, it's very difficult to talk about this film, yeah. And it's so it's funny because it's so slow, but it still has some massive spoilers. But uh, we'll leave it at that. I mean, again, this is not for everyone. It really is a, a, a slow, but but um, I think we both enjoyed. I just want to do a shout out. The MVP of the movie is Louis the dog. <laughs> Wasn't he wonderful? <laughs> oh, so good. It was a spaniel, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I don't know much about spaniel. dogs, but he, the way he he was he's the older Tilda mother's dog, the older of the two Tildas. And she he's just like you really feel like it's her dog. He's it cuddling is. and it absolutely is her dog. Like um, uh, the dog goes missing at one point, and she's running around like my mother's dog, my mother's dog. But yeah, she's running around screaming, uh, "My mother's dog's gone missing" and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, we definitely get the sense that it's the mother's dog. So, would you recommend it? <laughs> um, I think go into it knowing that you're getting a very slow film that is going to build to something interesting. If that's not for you, then it's not for you. Um, no qualms with not enjoying it uh, either way. But yeah, if you're a fan of Joanna Hogg, you're going to like this. Great. Connor, that was the ones I wanted to talk with you about. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Again, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, Next Best Picture. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Next Best Picture.